Welcome to Daily Drive Time Devotions. We are in day three of our look together through Philippians chapter two, looking at verses 12 to 18 today. In this section of Philippians two, we're looking at a major reason for a loss of joy in our lives, not living up and living out the potential that God has given into our lives through the gifts that he's given us, misunderstanding those gifts. And and when I do that, sometimes I end up wallowing in the mud when, as we're going to see in this passage, we could instead shine like stars. And when you know you could shine like a star and you're wallowing in the mud, there's just a lack of joy. When we choose to live short of the gifts that God has given us, we are inevitably going to live short of joy. And in this passage, we're going to see pictures of the fulfillment of our potential that are pictures like you'll look like God's child, you'll shine like God's star, You'll create boasting in the day of Christ on, on that final day of judgment when we all gather together. Those are wonderful pictures. And this passage is all about how I grow towards that day. God wants all of us to be growing towards all that he's made us to be. That, by the way, is called sanctification. It's always important to remember three words when we think about what it means to be a believer in Christ. Salvation, sanctification, and glorification. Salvation is what happened the moment I asked Jesus into my life. Maybe when you were six years old or 60. But the moment you trusted him and said, I want you to be a part of my life, he saved you. He guaranteed the fact that you're going to be with him in heaven for eternity. And he began a process, the second thing, of sanctification. That's the process on this earth of growing to be more and more like Jesus. As we respond to the problems, as we live in our relationships, as we read his word, as we talk to him, we grow to be more and more like Jesus in the way we think and the, and the things that we do. That's sanctification. It comes from the idea of being holy. And the third word is glorification. That hasn't happened yet. That's when we reach that day when we're with him forever in heaven, and he instantly glorifies us to be like him. So salvation happened the moment you were saved. Sanctification is happening now, and glorification happens when we get to heaven. So how do you find joy in sanctification? How do you find joy in growth? Because a lot of times we struggle with the fact that we're not growing like we should, not growing like we want to, and it becomes a a source of a lack of joy rather than genuine joy. Well, Paul uses three phrases in these verses, 12 to 18, to talk about how to find joy in growth. I need to work out, I need to not get worked up, and I also need to work hard. First of all, if I'm going to experience joy when it comes to growing and using the gifts that God's given me, the salvation that he's given to me, then I need to work out, verses 12 to 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Work out. We hear that phrase and we think aerobics or lifting weights or running. How do I reach my physical potential by working out? This is talking about spiritual aerobics, weight training for your faith. Work out your faith. Now notice it does not say you work in your faith or you work for your faith. This is not talking about achieving faith. This is talking about living out the faith that God's already given you. You work it out. You work out what God's already done. I like the New Living Translation of this. Put into action God's saving work in your life. So this isn't talking about being saved by your works. This is talking about the works that follow salvation, working out what God has done. And God intentionally uses words here to challenge our thinking. Work it out. You can't just be saved and then sit back and rest on your spiritual assurance. What God works in, he will work out through us based on God's work in us. You can't work your way to salvation. That's the truth. 
but neither can you be saved and not have it make a difference in your life, not begin to work it out. That's also the truth. Now, how do I work out my salvation? Well, there's three words in here that involve practical exercises, everyday things I can do. Obedience is how I work it out, just as you've always obeyed. Obedience. You do what you want. You do what you feel. You, you do some things just because you're afraid, or you do things just because you're worried, and you'll always live short of the growth that God wants in your life, the way that God wants to use you. But you do what God wants. You obey. You begin to live up to the gifts that he's given you. Obedience. He also talks about intensity here, and he uses a, a few words that might confuse you when you first hear them. It says, work it out with fear and trembling. What does that mean? Does that mean I'm supposed to be scared of what God's going to do to me if I don't work this out? No, it's not a matter of being scared. These words instead point to an awe-filled appreciation for the importance of life, the importance of what could happen in my life as I allow God to work in my life. Somebody's called this the strength of emotion that comes from desiring to do your very best. This is the intensity that comes from knowing that something's all important, the intensity of a, a player in a Super Bowl or a mother loving her child, or a worker applying for a desperately needed job. It's the intensity that has your hands trembling, not out of fear of what might be done to you, but of, of a knowledge of the incredible importance of that moment. Be aware, he says, of the importance of your growth in Christ. You need to have obedience and intensity. You also need to have energy. Sometimes you know what you want to do, and you want to do it even, but you just can't seem to find the energy to do it. At least that happens to me. Well, good news in Philippians chapter two. You're not in this alone. You don't have to find the energy just by yourself. Philippians 2.13, listen to this, listen to this. For God is at work within you, helping you to want to obey him and then helping you to do what he wants. That's from the Living Bible. I need that. I need to know that I'm not in this alone. And the word that's used for work here, God is at work within you. We get our English word energy from this Greek word for work. God does the energizing of our lives. So you lean back and you let him energize you. Warren Wiersbe talks about two types of living from this passage, either up and down living or in and out living. Up and down living is depending on your human energy. And it's filled with peaks and valleys, with ups and downs. But in and out living is God's energy working in us and then out through us, in us, and then out through us. It's more like a river with a constant flow, a strong, strong flow. The current of that river doesn't diminish. I can either be motivated by outer pressures, or I can be strengthened by God's inner power. If it's just outer pressures, I'm not going to make it. That's how you work out spiritually. Now, the word, by the way, in Paul's day, when we talk about working out your salvation, was not about weight rooms. In Paul's day, it was a word that related to solving a math problem or extracting ore from a mine, working it out of the mine, or reaping a crop from a field. That's not a bad picture of what God wants to do in your life, solving problems, extracting that which is valuable, reaping the rewards of the crop, pictures of God's potential, God's gifts in your life being worked out as you trust in him. How does that happen? Obedience, intensity, energy. You work it out. Number two, don't get worked out. That's pretty simple, what we're going to talk about in the next few minutes. But of the three we're going to talk about today, this might be the most life-changing. The actions that we take in verse 14 have an incredible impact on our lives. First, let me read for you the impact that these actions that we take will have in your life. Verses 15 and 16. 
When I take these actions, what the impact will be so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault and a crooked and depraved generation, in which, here's the result, you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. Now, what are the commands that result in this awesome impact, shining like stars in the universe, holding out the word of life, becoming blameless and pure children of God? What are the actions that result in that impact? Let me read for you. Verse 14, do everything without complaining or arguing. Well, that just sounds too simple. Is that it? Just those simple choices result in all this that we're talking about? Well, it's those simple choices as a believer in Christ. It's those simple choices based on the fact that he is in me because complaining and arguing diminish the light that Christ wants to shine through you. So don't complain and don't argue. Very simple, but very life-changing. Don't complain. The Greek word there is, by the way, gogusman. I like that word because it's one of those words that sounds like what it means, complaining, gogusman, gogusman. I'm complaining, I'm upset, things aren't going right. Really complaining is the I didn't get my way attitude of life. And that disappointment becomes life's focus and joy dies on the vine. Don't complain and don't argue. Complaining is I didn't get my way. Arguing is I will get my way. I'm going to argue my way into it. And instead of, instead of looking for victories, you begin to look for vindication. And you get caught up. Here's the problem with arguments. You get caught up in personalities rather than possibilities of what God could do. Now, if you're a normal human being, you realize that complaining and arguing can easily become a first reaction when things don't go the way you would like them to go. How do you break the habit of those being the first reaction? Well, when we talk about not complaining and not arguing, it doesn't mean you can't stand up for what's right. Complaining and arguing instead are standing up for your idea of what's right, your idea of what you want. The roots of complaints and arguments are honestly selfishness. And you might be thinking, this, this won't work for me. I mean, <laughs> complaining and arguing, that's how I get things done. It's also how you dull your light, which is the most important thing that you get done. Now, let's just get real practical about this because you may have some questions. If there's a fly in your soup at a restaurant, don't complain, don't argue. Does that mean you just have to eat the fly? No, of course not. But don't complain and don't argue. It also means you don't have to make the waiter feel like a fly in the way that you complain to them, the way that you treat them. You can bring them over and you can kindly ask them to help you. You can kindly ask them to serve you in that situation. There's a way we speak to people that either lets our light shine out or it dulls our light to the world. And complaining and arguing dull our light. Don't complain. Don't argue. Don't get worked up. And the third thing Paul talks about here when it comes to living out our potential, growing as God wants us to grow, is we need to work hard. But even as I say those words, let me ask a question. Why does working hard and achieving often seem to sap us of joy rather than give us joy? Why does hard work leave many of us feeling empty? How can you both work hard and work joyfully? Well, the answer to that is found in these verses. It's found in your attitude towards life. There is a commitment to life that's necessary, but the attitude behind that commitment determines whether hard work will sap you or satisfy you. So here's the attitude, verses 17 and 18. But even, Paul says, if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad. And I rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. 
He basically says here, you can live life in one of two ways. You can either live life trying to earn something you don't yet have, or you can live life joyfully spending an abundance you've already been given. And that makes all the difference in the world when it comes to working hard. You can work hard one of two ways. You can work hard trying to earn something you don't have. You can seek to earn life in fear of its loss, trying to earn people's applause, to earn God's love, to earn forgiveness for your past guilts. You can't earn life. It's a gift. You can earn money, but you can't earn life. Life is a gift from God. And Paul was not trying to earn his life. He'd already been given the gift by God. And so he says in these verses that he is joyfully spending his life, spending an abundance that he'd already been given. He was spending his life for others in assurance of its abundance. The word translated poured out here is the Greek word spendomai. Now, it sounds like our English word spent, but it actually means to be poured out. Paul says, I'm pouring out my life like a drink offering. Instead of hoarding his life, Paul was pouring it out. And he gives a picture. He says, it's like a drink offering. A drink offering in the Old Testament is a picture from Numbers 15, one of the places it's talked about. It was an offering that was poured over a sacrifice that had already been given to God. It was, uh, in one sense, like an icing on the cake kind of an offering given at the end. And this is a very humble statement by the Apostle Paul. He says, I am... I am pouring out my life. I am spending my life for the sake of the enabling, the sweetening of your service and faith. There's a kind of hard work that results in a great joy. And it's the kind of hard work that says, I'm not earning my life in fear of its loss. I am spending my life in assurance of its abundance. I know what God's already given to me. I know what God's got for me in heaven. And so I can pour out my life here unafraid because of all that he has given to me. Let's pray together. As we pray together, let let me remind you of the words of that song by Matt Redman based on these verses that we've just read. We will shine like stars in the universe, holding out your truth in the darkest place. We'll be living for your glory. Jesus, we'll be living for your glory. We will burn so bright with your praise, O God, and declare your light to this broken world. We'll be living for your glory. Jesus, we'll be living for your glory. Like the sun, so radiantly sending light for all to see, let your holy church arise. We will shine. God, help us to be able to make the choice to live for your glory, to grow to be more like Jesus, as we trust you to work out what we can't work in, as we make the choice to not get worked up and complain about things that don't really matter, when what you're doing is what really does matter. And as Lord, we make the choice to work hard, recognizing, God, that you are working in us and we can trust in that work. Give us a strength that works hard, not based on trying to earn something, but on just giving back to you, pouring out for you what you've already given to us. Help us to obey you, to stop complaining, and to spend our lives loving you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. 